0: Welcome to Matt's Crummy Comics Collection. I am Matt, and this is the general release episode for October 2018, and the Halloween edition of the series for Neosaz.com's biggest holiday month of the year, first talking Halloween and October and everything that comes with that. For anyone that doesn't know this show or just tuning in for this Halloween content, This is a show where I take one of the eclectic comic books from my even further eclectic collection and see what that issue is all about. In this special Halloween episode, I will be featuring the Frankenstein Dracula War, number one from Topps Comics. I'll say that last part again. Topps Comics. That's right. Topps, at one time, produced comic books. I don't think I need to get too much into the characters in this one. We know Frankenstein's monster and we know Dracula and they both have had long comic histories. Frankenstein, the monster and the doctor have been featured in titles by DC comics, Dell comics, Marvel comics, prize comics, Darkstorm comics, Dead Dog comics, Big Bang comics, Dark Horse comics and Image comics just to name a few. Dracula, while having a much shorter list, is no slouch. He's been entitled by DC Comics, Dell Comics, Dark Horse, Dark Horse Comics, Dynamite Comics, Image Comics, and Boom Studio Comics. Both have had comic adaptations of their quintessential movies from the 1930s, made by Universal Studios as well. Both by Dark Horse Comics, along with the Mummy and the Creature from the Black Lagoon. But Topps Comics—that's another story altogether. The Topps Comic Division was founded on March 24th of 1992. Their initial focus and specialty was movie and TV tie-ins, having licensing for The X-Files, Jurassic Park, Zorro, and the Bram Stoker's Dracula. That the film Bram Stoker's Dracula, I should say, because of course Dracula is Bram Stoker's, we think we know that. It's not a Dracula history. Listen, I need to move on. Okay, so it also dove into original series lines with titles like The Barty Twins Adventures, Cadillacs and Dinosaurs, and Lady Rawhide. But possibly the biggest run for Tops was the Kirbyverse that started in April of 1993. The Kirbyverse was a release of one-shots and short series stemmed from character designs and story concepts of previously unpublished works by the legendary Jack Kirby. Titles like Bombast, Captain Glory, and Jack Kirby's Secret Saga. As the company grew, slowly but surely, more movie tie-ins were acquired. Jackie Chan, Spartan X, Jason Goes to Hell, and the adaptation of James Bond GoldenEye were among some of the licenses that Topps acquired. The TV library grew as well. A Duckman short run was added to... Top's offerings, space, space Above and Beyond, and Hercules and Xena titles were added as well. But the literary adaptations and tie-ins is what leads us to our episode today. Ray Bradbury's works were adapted for Tops. The illustrated Man in the Martian Chronicles. Dracula appeared again outside the Bram Stoker's adaptation in the Dracula Chronicles. And Mary Shelley's Frankenstein was a featured adaptation. This all leads up to... Naturally, the inevitable Frankenstein-Dracula War, or at least that's what I'm guessing. We're about to find out. So, why did I buy this? Unlike many comics in this particular part of my collection, it was purchased out of pure curiosity. It's a three-issue run, and I bought all three issues, not by choice, but because it was take them all or don't take any kind of sale. Ironically, I found these when I was looking for the aforementioned Dracula and Frankenstein Universal monster movie adaptations. At that point, or I should say that day of searching, I didn't find any of those movie adaptations, the Universal movie adaptations, but I did find these. And the idea intrigued me enough to buy them. And the cover is interesting <laughs> i'll describe it i only saw cover one really I, I took a look at all three i opened the bag and looked at what i was getting but i only really took a look at issue number one's cover so that's what i'm going to describe it's a very interesting color palette it is black white some grays i don't want to go as far as to say gray scale because i'm sure if i really looked at this i could pick out a specific number of grays, like four or five. I think it was intentionally done with solid grays rather than a grayscale and then colored. So we're talking black, white, a few grays, blue, and red. That's it. No yellow, no green, no orange, no purple, no mixture or gradients into them. It's all one or the other of the colors I'm talking about with the exception of the word Frankenstein. That is blue, Gradiating into red from the top to the bottom. And the F in Frankenstein hits a solid red to which the word Dracula is that solid red and then the word war back to the original blue that Frankenstein started with. So that's the only gradient color on this. The rest, like I said, is all these. It's gray, white, black, red, and blue. And what we have is Dracula at the... Uh, I'd say the top ish of the page under the title. The first thing we see is Dracula. He's standing with his hand outreached at you. His eyes are red. His cloak is black with some blue highlights. The rest of him is all black and white. Then we have Frankenstein's monster whose skin is blue, which is torn through some gray clothes. And he's kind of got a gray hood and cloak on as well. And then we have gray stakes everywhere and skulls and behind them falling leaves. It's a very, like I said, very simple, very interesting color. The first cover i said color i meant cover the first thing that drew me to this was the color palette so color was been in my mind looking at this the whole time very interesting choice i i mean it was the i think the concept is what sold me i wanted to see what this was about and the fact that tops is at the very top left very big tops comics which i didn't know was a thing when i bought this and then one of three And then it has the creator's names, which I'll get to. And then Undead Again, which I presumed at the time of buying this was the name of the issue. Whether or not that's true, we'll find out. So definitely the idea sold me on getting this. And then the the very interesting approach to a cover, because that is, I'm going to guess... Unless you are a collector of a title, if you're buying a brand new comic, I'm going to guess cover, and there's probably research statistics that'll actually tell me the number I'm looking for, but I'm going to guess it's a very high number, like well over 75% of your decision in buying that comic. I'd be curious what that real number is, but it wouldn't surprise me if it's in that range because it is for me. I mean, if the concept isn't the thing that grabs me, but the cover does, I mean, there you go. That's, at least for me, covers 75% of most of the purchases, especially in the... uh, The issues I've featured on this series. I don't know if I just helped that argument or not by saying that, but it is what it is. And without getting into the other covers and taking up too much time, I will say they follow suit. Although each cover seems to add an additional element. Like the second one, it's again, black, whites, blues, reds, and grays with the addition of a little purple. And then those carry over into the third one with adding some yellow as well. So they don't ever go for a full blown, full color cover, but they have added one color on the subsequent issues. If you're following me again, now I can be post pictures. You can look them up. They're very, they're not difficult to find despite it being a very uh, obscure comic. It's not difficult to find imagery from this. I will say that about it. So let's get started with this one. And as, Many times in many comics, we start with a credits page, but man, alive, do we have a credits page in this particular comic. This is the page. I mean, top to bottom, here's everything on this page. Buckle in, this is going to take a minute. Frankenstein, created by Mary Shelley. Dracula, created by Bram Stoker. Roy Thomas, writer. Claude St. Alburn penciler. Alan Newness, inker. John Costanza, letterer. Carl Gafford, colorist, Len Brown, editor, Jim Salakrup, editor-in-chief. That was just kind of the intro. Now we have the Topps Comics line of credits, even though we just talked about writers and artists, I just realized. But we have Jim Salicrupp, associate publisher and editor-in-chief, Dwight John Zimmerman as executive editor, Renee Waterstowder, I think, editor, Carl Gafford as editorial production manager, Don Allen Zagzerinsky Design Director, Gary Gerani, West Coast Editor, Mike McCallion, editorial assistant, Ira Friedman Publisher, Len Brown Creative Director, Charles S. Novinsky, Sales and Promotionals Manager, Stacy Kimmel, Advertising Design Coordinator, Luz LaSalle, Distributor Liaison, Sandy Fumano, Publishing Assistant, Mata Design Inc., graphic production. Arthur T. Shorin, chairman of the board. John J. Langdon, president. And then a pitch of how to contact advertising and sales and information. And man alive, that was a huge, huge credit sequence for a comic book. I think, I don't even think, I know that's the longest one I've talked about on this show so far. Next page, the story starts, and this actual story is called Part 1, the Gathering Storm, not the, oh, what was the cover? Undead again? No, that's The Gathering Storm. So, it's 1796, and we get a collage of two wars. Napoleon driving the Austrians out of Italy towards Vienna. And in the east, the Turks battling Russia over the annex, annexation. Is that right? Annexation. Annex, I feel like I'm missing a syllable. Annexation of Moldavia. On the border between Moldavia's neighbors, Wallachia and Transylvania, a pro Turkish nobleman has a visitor. It's Count Dracula. He's come to ask for the Duke Bogdan's daughter's hand in marriage. The Duke says, nope. Dracula proclaims, it's because I'm a foe of the Turks and you love them. The Duke retorts, no, it's because I know the abomination that you've become and won't get involved in your house. Dracula replies, maybe you live too long at this point, Duke. The Duke, pretty pissed at this, sends his guards to escort Dracula out of the castle Dracula says, don't bother. He'll show himself out in a manner of his own choosing and turns into a horrific bat and flies out. The Duke's daughter is there, nearly drooling over all of this as she grins and mutters, oh my lord and master, as Dracula flutters away. The Duke, seeing this, freaks out and asks, you want to be with this monster? She explains that he's visited her in secret and has offered her eternal life. The Duke smacks her so hard that she hits the ground, calling her a witch and says that she will marry such a monster over my dead body and locks his daughter in this dark, I want to say dungeonous room, but I believe it's up in a tower, so I'll just call it a dark room. So the Duke calls his guards together. He knows a thing or two himself about this so-called undead, And at sunrise, they're going to leave for Castle Dracula and impale and behead this vampire while he rests by day in his crypt. And I'm going to guess it's no throwaway panel that we see the Duke's daughter, ear pressed up against that door, hearing all this and grinning inanely. Now, back at the Napoleon battle, which I actually kind of forgot about at this point while reading the comic, a small regiment of French forces have made their way into the... And began looting a village of unarmed peasants. In this group is Giles de la Croix. He is nearly seven feet in height and is a merciless fiend, which has earned him the nickname Monsieur Massacre. I probably slaughtered that for all the French listener that's listening. A young woman runs from the village into a small house. She rushes to a man standing at the top of the stairs screaming, you must come, hurry, the French are slaughtering all the men in town. The man responds with a, what should I care about men? On the next page, we see that this is a towering creature. He's green-skinned, shambled clothes, sewn patches of skin, and he proclaims, what has humankind Ever been to the monster of Frankenstein, but a fountain of loathing and misery spewing forth a stream of hatred that I return in full measure. Let them die. Back at the village, the French are ravishing the village, killing the men when Frankenstein's monster arrives and begins taking them all out two and three at a time. That is until a Monsieur Massacre is left and he throws a wooden cart at the monster, a a whole cart. He picks it up and throws it at him. Frankenstein's monster bursts through the cart, and the two come to blows. Frankenstein's monster wraps Monster Massacre and a bear hug, nearly breaking every bone in his torso. When he drops him, a flash of flame hits the monster in the back. Standing among these surviving soldiers with a glowing and I guess smoke rising off his right hand, and I mean his hand, not a weapon in his hand, uh, is the Count St. Germain saying, it got the attention of the thing created by Victor Frankenstein, and when he sees I have his precious wench, I think we'll have no more trouble with from him. And in his left arm, actually his hand, he is holding the woman that came to get the monster's help. With He's holding her quite firmly by the back of the neck and the head and she actually looks like she's in she's angry and plus in quite a bit of pain from this clutch elsewhere in the story over at the castle high above bargo pass the duke has led his men to dracula's castle they head down to the crypt where dracula's casket is it's open but it's empty suddenly the port slams down trapping everyone in the crypt until nightfall bats swarm into the crypt And from the shadows, Dracula emerges and begins to impale Duke Bowden's men one by one. The Duke cowers behind his captain. Dracula turns into a man-sized bat and engulfs the captain in his wings. Alone in the dark, the Duke tries to find an escape. He makes his way to the castle's great hall, with Dracula waiting at the top of the stairs. Trapped, the Duke says, if you're going to kill me, come and do it like a man, to which Dracula replies... Why should I harm you when your own darling daughter will do it for me? And out of the shadows steps the Duke's daughter. The Duke charges screaming, you've made her one of the undead. Then by God, I'll kill you both. Now, back at the Frankenstein monster house, cottage, whatever it is, the monster and Count de Saint-Germain are having a conversation surrounded by the remaining French soldiers. St. Germain explains that only a few alchemists and practitioners of the dark arts still know of the monster's history. A young Victor Frankenstein that robbed graves for materials to create the creature He destroyed the mate he made for the monster, and the monster, in turn, made Victor Frankenstein a widower. How he led his creature into the icy wastelands and left him to die, then wandered with the intent of destroying himself. That is, the monster wandered with the intent of destroying himself. The monster finished the story for St. Germain, saying, and I decided to return to my homeland. St. Germain is quick to point out that he was made in Germany, so why is he here in Transylvania, the monster explains that there were too many bad memories back home and he began to move southeast. Weeks ago, he happened upon Irina, surrounded by wolves. This is the woman that came to get Frankenstein's monster involved in the war in the beginning of the story, When I find out. She confided in him that she had come to get lost in the woods because she had just poisoned her abusive father and brother. She took the monster into her home and hid him from the town. St. Germain now starts explaining his motives himself for being in Transylvania. He himself had created an elixir of life, and it kept him alive for over a 100 years now. But that elixir needs replenishing and needs one last ingredient to make that liquid of eternal life, and that is the undead heart of Count Dracula. Which, of course, poses the question, how did that first round of elixir work without it? Anyway. He was daunted by the task of battling this known vampire, but for Frankenstein's monster, this task would be a lot easier. Many nights later, Frankenstein's monster approached Dracula's castle. In the castle, as we cross the drawbridge and head under the archway, we see the Duke now impaled on a stake. So ah, that storyline is over. The monster enters, and he's greeted with the words, Welcome to my house. Enter freely and of your own will. Then the next page is Dracula kind of rising to strike and Frankenstein's monster taking a little back at the approach with the words in these horrific letters. I am Dracula. And that's the end of the issue. And at the bottom right hand corner it says next foes dot 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 or allies. And that is the end of this issue. I do have a A couple things to talk about that I didn't stop the story from specifically starting with an image that I could not or an idea I couldn't get out of my head seeing this image. Having recently seen Avengers Infinity War, like the rest of the world, a shot of the Duke who's taunting Dracula. He has his hand up and we see all his rings and there has a ring on each finger and each one is a different color. So I made the note, the Infinity Gauntlet rings (laughs) because I couldn't get that obviously the the association out of my head without um after having just seen infinity wars and uh from there there is i did make a note about the the man bat design when dracula first changes into a bat and flies away i, I don't I, there's actually a lot about this artwork i like uh, except that it's <laughs> that one thing i really really do not like i mean i get the idea the thing I don't like about it is that the body is like 99% bat and the head is like 90% human and then 20% bat. It's not a good balance. So I think that's about the, I'd say that's probably the, um, uh, really the only downside to the artwork. Uh, Monsieur Massacre, another association you can't get out of your mind. He is standing when you, inter- when you introduce this character, he's standing exactly like every, masters of the universe figure pose and he's built that way too very broad he's got the wide stance and his arms are outreached to his side it's 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 funny it's almost like they use one of those figures as a model to base this particular um frame or whatever this picture on it's it's a it's a three-quarter page reveal but it looks exactly like a masters of the universe first figure the, um, I knew by the, just by the cover of this, we were going to have liberties on the designs of Dracula and Frankenstein and I actually like them. They're not bad. They're obviously different than I think. And I think a lot of people do think Bella Lugosi, Bartosz, Boris Koloff when you think of these characters. And obviously, you're not going to get that every time. Sometimes you're, I'd say, disappointed, or it's a little too much, little too free of an interpretation, or different. It's you're free to interpret. Obviously, it's it's a little different interpretation. This is it's different. And I wouldn't say there's elements of either in there, but I like the design of both these characters. The, one thing that stands out in this comic above everything else is, and I say it because I made mean such a big deal about the cover being basically for colors five if you count gray or white or black as a color this comic is insanely colorful i mean it uses every color and mixtures of colors and not necessarily gradients but they use the inks for the gradients and for the shadings it is a very colorful comic book and not overly so where you're, it's silly the colors fit in with what we're discussing there's battles in a field so there's a lot of green there's there is, uh, some scenes in the woods lots of greens and browns uh, Frankenstein's monster is wearing orange and Irina is wearing purple. It's not, like I said, not silly. It's all done well. And it, it, along with, the, and there's a lot of blues at night, obviously blues, purples, and blacks. It's really strange seeing how colorful this is when you look at the cover and see the color scheme they went with to introduce this story. So I do have. Some notes on the other two stories just to give you an idea of where this all goes. It's not near as extensive as my uh, first set of notes. So let me run through this quick in case you're interested and wondering exactly how this all pans out. So issue two, its title is not foes or allies it's actually the grand alliance so i guess allies i guess we had our answer allies i believe is a form of alliance but dracula and frankenstein's monster immediately begin to fight both stabbing each other pretty fiercely but with them both being undead doesn't really affect them other than just a mere annoyance dracula managed to lure frankenstein's monster into a cage and trap him the Duke's captain from the first issue, the the he's now a servant of Dracula. This is when we saw engulfed in the man bat's wing, so we didn't know what happened to him. So now we get it. He's kind of the Renfield uh, in this particular story. I'm I'm gonna guess Frankenstein's monster convinces Dracula to let him out of the case, saying he has a plan to trap Saint Germain. He also catches them up on the whole reason why he's there to you know tear the heart out of his chest. So that might woo Dracula to Frankenstein's side a bit. Once he's released, all he needs is a heart to convince St. Germain that he's defeated Dracula. So the monster grabs the closest heart available, and it's the one that he tears out of the captain's chest. Frankenstein lures St. Germain to the castle with the heart. As St. Germain approaches, Dracula intervenes, not too happy about the whole wanting to steal his heart thing, of course. Saint Germain say I'm sorry, Saint Germain uses his dark magic to get the better of Dracula, and just before he carves his heart out, Frankenstein's monster tears the knife wielding arm off of Saint Germain's body. To return to favor, Dracula helps rescue Irina from the French soldiers. The monster and Irina are reunited. During the days that pass with Frankenstein's monster and Irina living in the castle, the Duke's daughter and one of Dracula's brides has taken a liking to Frankenstein's monster. She approaches him to make him her own immortal servant, but he doesn't want any part of it. Rejected and a bit vengeful, Dracula's bride convinces Dracula that the two should hunt Irina, and they do, turning her into a vampire. The monster later finds her with an insatiable hunger, and her relentless attacks leave him but one choice, and that's to kill her. She thanks him for her release as she lies dying on the ground. And as she does, Frankenstein's monster utters one word, and that is Dracula. Now we move on to part three, and that is entitled Triumph and Tragedy. The story starts with Frankenstein's monster burying Irina and then smashes his way into Dracula's castle. Dracula's bride, in bat form, attacks After a violent fight, the monster is victorious, beheading this beast. Dracula returns to the castle to find his bride's head on the floor. He immediately knows it was a monster and to begin the all-out battle. The battle goes back and forth over and over to the point that it completely destroys the castle until we get a stalemate and Frankenstein's monster just decides neither can win and walks off. We do cut to some time later. Dracula and his now three wives are more than ready for the return of the monster, if that ever happens. The monster wanders the woods, hiding for the rest of eternity, just always thinking of Arena. And that, believe it or not, is how it ends. So, my review on a scale of crummy to classic is going to be not as bad as I thought it was going to be it is not great but from the cover art and this being my first and likely last tops comics to cover in this show it, I, I, it could have been a lot worse the ending sucks there, the, that's there's no getting around that the story sans the ending isn't bad it's not great maybe even at times a touch pretentious but all in all it it, it held my attention enough to get to the three through the three issues and to the ending do I recommend finding this? Absolutely not. I think that <laughs> I think I've think i covered everything you need to know if you really want to know about this story. But if you're inclined to find this for yourself, then go, go for it. It's not too hard to look at. The artwork's not too bad. The art inside, I mean, I think I stated it earlier, is far better than the cover art. And the story is actually decently paced. Even though it spans over three issues, it moves pretty quick. Maybe not the story development you want, especially when you bring in that character, St. Germain, who is kind of the catalyst for these two warring in the first place. Don't really know much about him, and he kind of just, the idea of him fades away. I mean, the character, we know what happens, but we don't learn more about uh, who he was, how he did this, or how he got to the point of needing, well, we know why he needs Dracula's heart, but what, what mad alchemy led to that conclusion? We don't know. Do we need to know? I guess not. But it's uh, you know it's like I said, character development. You know, Dracula. You know, Frankenstein. The reason that they're even interacting, that character was kind of left uh, unfulfilled, in my opinion. But still, better than I expected, honestly. And with that, that'll do it for this Halloween edition of Matt's Crummy Comics Collection, part of our biggest Halloween celebration yet at Neosaz.com. But of course, that's not all for this series this month. There is a Patreon-exclusive episode coming to our Patreon feed. It's just a couple of days from now, and that episode will feature the Puppet Master Halloween special, a comic from the cult film franchise Puppet Master, of which I am a fan. If you don't know about our Patreon campaign, it is the thing that keeps us going and keeps all the past episodes online, not only from Halloween, but the entire year. You can learn more about that at patreon.com slash all the details are there. Starts at just a dollar a month, and that gives you access to exclusive content throughout the each month and as well as additional content this Halloween, actually. There's also one more Matt's Crummy Comics collection coming this month. It'll be part of our annual War of the Worlds Week celebration, and in that special episode, I will be taking a look at Evil Dead 2, Revenge of the Martians, and that will be on Neozaz.com in the general release feed of Matt's Crummy Comics Collection and our Halloween feed for everyone to check out later this month. Check out our social media pages. We are Neozaz Podcast on Facebook and Neozaz on Twitter and Instagram, and of course, for all of our back episodes, or if you're new to this and want to know what we're all about, all that information is at neozaz.com. We're also on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, TuneIn, just about every podcast provider out there that at least I'm aware of. And we try to add ourselves to every additional one that comes down the pipeline when we find out about it. So should be pretty easy to find if you're interested in more from us. All right, that will do it. Thank you for listening. This has been part of our Halloween celebration and our special Halloween episode. I will be back next month on Matt's Grammy Comics Collection. Until then, I'll say one more time, thank you for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode.